All right, well, tonight we're back into 1 Kings, and we are going to uh, look at a very famous dream. And we tend to kind of think, well, it's a prayer, but it wasn't a prayer. It wasn't really a, a uh, it was a dream given by God to Solomon. We talked about the uh, events around it last week, and now we want to look at the dream itself, and it's uh, beginning manifestations here in Solomon's reign. And so we're in 1 Kings chapter 3, and we're going to pick up in verse 5. God's word declares, Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice... Oh, I'm sorry, verse 5. At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor asked riches for yourself, nor asked the life of your enemies, or have asked for yourself understand, but have asked for yourself understanding and to discern justice, behold, I have done according to your word. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Then Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. Let's go, Lord, in prayer together as we get into our text. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us and for the opportunity to look in your word. We pray for clarity of thought and direction by your spirit, and that we might be prepared to allow it to impact our lives. Lord, we do pray tonight for those that we miss, and for those, particularly those with illness, and we pray that you might strengthen their bodies and heal them uh, for the week before them and and we pray you might encourage them in their absence here uh, and hearing the encouragement of your word that they might be encouraged by your spirit uh, at home as well and Lord, we do uh, continue to pray that you might work in our midst to your honor glory and praise in jesus name amen so we dealt with the circumstances around this night uh we Find now the actual event occurring, and remember that we have God extending mercy toward uh, Solomon, and Solomon seems to indicate that even in his speech that uh, you have uh, been very good uh, to my father. Your kindness is what has extended to him, and your kindness has been extended further to him. Very important statement. You have extended your kindness to my father David by putting me on the throne. And Solomon recognized that him becoming king 
was really God keeping the promise to his father. And it really didn't have a lot to do with him yet. And so remember, we talked about God's idea of justice as spanning more than just your lifetime. That his mercy goes to many generations, and so also does his judgment. So you could be judged two or three generations for grandpa's sinfulness. And that is not unusual in God's economy of what is right and wrong. You and I have sensitivity against that. I shouldn't be judged for that. And we saw that a little bit this morning in in what I was talking about. I didn't get into it because I had other things I wanted to address. But uh, the whole idea that that judgment on Cain spanned, and so we have the entire line of Cain. I mean, generations after generations, so that we have the entire line described as the, a, a judged line. And so it wasn't really until we have um, uh, the next born of um, Adam and Eve that it says, then finally men began, began to call upon the name of the Lord. And so it took a whole other line for that to occur coming out of Adam and Eve because the line of Cain didn't accomplish that. Some other things came out of the line of Cain. Uh, Polygamy came out of the line of Cain. Uh, Metallurgy came out of the line of Cain. Uh, Music came out of the line of Cain. Musical instruments instead of just using your voice. Uh, Also uh, portable domiciles, semi-portable, semi-permanent domiciles came out of the line of Cain. So those kind of things are recorded there in Genesis for us. But uh, God's idea of justice expands generations, but so does his idea of mercy and kindness. And so, yes, your life could be benefited and is benefited. The principles, God, God operates on the same principles. He doesn't change. So, yes, does, can you follow lines of godly men and say, well, there was an influence there? Yes. And so... Um, I can attribute some of God's kindness to me and look back over my generations and say, well, it was his decision or that decision. They chose to worship and serve God in righteousness and in truth and in uh, uprightness of heart. And God's kindness to my father or grandfather or great-grandfather has come down to me. Does that mean that you have a free pass? No. (laughs) Um, But Solomon essentially understands that I have been set up as king, really not on my own merit yet, but on the merit of my father. God's goodness to my father has brought me to be king. Now, the question now is, what kind of king am I going to be? And on that basis, God is going to now come to him and say, all right, that's your father. What about you and me? Where are we going to stand? How are we going to deal with? and what's your relationship going to be with me? And so ask me what you would like. Um, ask what shall I give you? And uh, Solomon has, demonstrates already some good understanding of how God functions, of what mercy and kindness is, and that, it, uh, that he has no right to be where he is. And let's just take a moment to remind ourselves who was the rightful, in terms of inheritance rules, who was the rightful heir to David's throne? Adonijah. All right, and because he was the oldest son still alive 
Two others had, had died already, had been, had been killed already. And Sadnijah was the next oldest, and Abner sides with him, and, and there's all kinds of problems, and uh, Joab, and, and all, all those things that, that occurred there with, with uh, um, the transition of government that we talked about. And so Solomon recognizes that his right to the throne is really a measure of God's work. And it goes back to something we talked about, remember, the very first night that we were going to investigate 1 Kings. Remember what it was? When we found out Solomon's real name. What was his real name? Zedadiah. Zedadiah? Jedediah, sorry, I thought I said Zedediah. Jedediah, which means beloved of the Lord. God loves him. And so even as a little child, he had that on him. Had he earned that? No, he didn't earn that. God identified him as that. God wanted him to, to excel and grow. So this is an extension of his kindness to David because of David's proper response to being caught in sin and repenting, which we talked about this morning. Uh, the issue isn't, is, aren't, aren't, woes are not permanent unless you make them that by rejecting the offer. The purpose of declaring a woe is to get people's attention so that they might repent. Well, Nathan caught David in sin of not only adultery but murder, and David repented because he had a righteous heart. And a righteous heart does not mean that you never sin, but that when you do sin and are confronted or, or reminded of it by the Holy Spirit or other men, that you repent of it because you have a desire after righteousness even though it hasn't been perfected in you. And so Solomon knew that he didn't deserve this. He knew it wasn't his inherited right. He, was, he recognized that this is all because of his father David, that God's kindness to David has now um, overflowed to him. And uh, it, there was an interesting study done. I haven't really looked at it recently. Um, this is way back 20, 30 years ago. Uh, yeah, that long, even before I was a pastor of this church. And it went through all these famous people, and he picked two particular people in American history to look at their lineage and to examine what came out of those lineages. One of them was Jonathan Edwards, the famous preacher. And they looked at his lineage, at all the people that were born out of uh, Jonathan Edwards. And so they went through generations and they found all of these other preachers, certainly. They found lawyers. They found um, uh, senators, U.S. senators, they went through and they found all of these people that from a human perspective we recognize, well, they were responsible citizens, they were contributors, they, they accomplished much, they were successful, they were teachers, they were, they were all benefactors to society. Were they all Christians? Not, that wasn't the scope of the study, and so no, we, we're not going to say they're all Christians, but they all demonstrated that. And then they took the line of another man named Booth. Who is Booth? He's the man that murdered Abraham Lincoln. And he went through and they looked at his lineage. And what do you know? What came out of that lineage? Criminals. Traitors. 
many, many, many of those that came out of that were hung or in jail, incarcerated, um, causing all kinds of problems, even many generations later. And so when Solomon is declaring here his understanding that there are benefits from your lineage um, or there are things that need to be overcome, does that mean that you are doomed if your parents weren't godly people? No, because that's the transforming power of the gospel is that any one generation can repent of that, turn to God, and can establish that testimony. And so when we look at this, David established that testimony, and because of his righteous heart toward God, uh, and a heart that wanted to please God, God set up a covenant relationship with him that spanned generations, and even kept Solomon in his later years from really getting the judgment he really deserved once he had a divided heart. And even for Rehoboam and others that said, well, you're the son of David, and so we're going to tolerate that a little bit. So even many generations down the road, we're going to see some benefit from being the son of David. Uh, and obviously, here Solomon's recognizing that. And so uh, I tell people that the power of the gospel is to overcome sin, and you can change that in one generation. But there's also a great benefit that can span many generations. And when you look back and say, well, my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents were all believers, um, that doesn't give you a free ride into heaven, but it gives you access and blessing that you have that kind of access to the truth, that you can extend that like Solomon's going to do here, or you can interrupt it. You can interrupt that, that pattern of generational blessing that God wants to bestow. So, we have Solomon recognizing that, and now, what should I, what, should, what do I want you to give me? So, verse 7, verse 6 was the history. I understand that everything so far is really because of my dad and not about me. So, verse 7 starts out with the word now. Now, O Lord. When it comes to me, uh, now, uh, O Lord my God, uh, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. So he's recognizing that that was David. That was your relationship with him. I'm benefiting from it, but now it's between you and me. You've made me king, and I'm not proud at this point, and this is very important. Uh, I am coming to you humbly recognizing that it's not me that you uh, have extended mercy and kindness. It's really to David, and now I'm the benefactor. So I'm really in a weak position. Even though I've already been established as king, I've already gotten rid of many of the enemies, I've already established my, my administration of my reign, uh, and now um, it seems to be a settled matter. Solomon is the king of Israel. But he says, I, I'm nearly not up to the task. He's probably about 20 years old here. Um, uh, became king at that age. So how long he's been king, it seems like it hasn't been very long at all. Um, and so he is king and recognizing that uh, I have a big job. And I am not experienced enough for the job. Verse 7, verse 8. Um, your people, these are your people. I'm your servant. I'm not in command. You are in command. I am second in command. I am your servant. 
over your people. This is fundamentally God's nation, not Solomon's. They are your chosen people, and they are a great people. That is, that they are greatly numbered. And remember, we don't know the number because David, as an act of pride, went out to, to number the people to see just how big a country are we. And he wanted to do a census, and God says, no, 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 no. No, that's not acceptable in my sight, and there was a great plague because of it, and that's when David buys uh, Mount Moriah and has a sacrifice there and the famous declaration, I will not offer to God something that costs me nothing. You know, I'm not going to accept it as a gift from you. I'm going to buy it from you at full price, and then I'm going to sacrifice it to God. Why is counting the people an act of pride? It is trying to measure God's blessing and uh, that we can declare this, we are this number. Now, were there numbers made? Yes, there were numbers made. In fact, we have a book called the Book of Numbers in your Bible, where they had at least two censuses of the people. But that purpose was very different. What was the purpose of the censuses back then in the days of Moses? It was to, anybody know? To affect the administration of their military and of their distribution of the people in the nation. Very different than David's purpose. David's purpose was just to be able to talk about how many people that he was governing over. God says, that's not acceptable. And here Solomon is showing a little bit of insight into that. Remember, that was very towards the very end of David's kingship. That was one of the last things recorded that happened there in 2 Samuel. And so that's fresh. That's in Solomon's days when he was a teenager or maybe a little older. And so it's fresh on his mind. He says, they're too numerous to number. They're just a great people. And I'm not about to do the mistake my dad did and number them. They're just too numerous. So you have a great people. They're your people. I'm only second in command, and I have very little experience. And these are not statements of self-deprecation. He's not just putting himself down in false humility. He's declaring his honest assessment of the situation. Here's where I'm at, and I'm not up to the job. And so if you ask me what I want you to give me, um, I'm going to ask you for understanding. I need uh, a wise heart to judge these people, to rule them. Now, I don't want to just rule them in a very powerful way. I want to rule them in a just way. And that's why it emphasizes I want to be able to know right from wrong. I want to be able to have that kind of discernment, not just a, a moral compass, but to really know in every case what is the right answer, what is the right response, what is the right action that needs to be taken, and uh, that I can direct people uh, away from evil and too good, so that I can be able to judge these people. And so that's his request. And we often say, well, he asked for wisdom. But he asked for a wisdom to judge, not necessarily an all-encompassed wisdom of everything. He is not asking for the complete wisdom of God, because that cannot be encased in any human brain, any capacity. 
He's asking to be able to have a, a capacity to discern and to judge between right and wrong as it affects his people as king. And so give me wisdom in the judgment. And so that's why the first judgment to show that wisdom is over himself, which we studied last week. Uh, which is why he said, what am I up here on this mountain for? I should be over there at the tabernacle in front of the ark. And he makes his way there. So he's making good judgment there between right and wrong. And then, of course, we're going to have, we're going to study next week and, and uh, the, in the rest of chapter 3 and 4 uh, when we talk about the exercise of that and that account. Uh, but we're going to, but what he's really asking is not just a blanket wisdom, although that is, that is in, somewhat encompassed there, but is the wisdom to, to discern. So that when people come to me, uh, I can direct them properly. And later on, when we see the Queen of Sheba show up, um, she's going to come to him, not just to hear him talk, but she has a series of questions to ask him. What's, and, and those questions, his answers were, were the only answers that were satisfactory to her, and she marveled at them and, and because of his wisdom. And so we can say, well, were those questions about, you know, we don't know, but we can, we can derive them down to the capacity to be able to judge between what is right and wrong. That there are some strong ethical questions, there are some strong moral issues. What is right? What is correct? Not only knowledge, uh, factual information about things, but more, what is sound judgment in these cases? Uh, how should men behave? What's the right thing to do in this circumstance? Or in that circumstance? What is the right reaction? And that is the, the main premise that Solomon is interested in. Um, does that require him to have wisdom over things? Obviously. And it's really obvious when you get to the book of Proverbs that he has wisdom encompassing a lot of things. But notice what Proverbs is focused on. If we read through the book of Proverbs, what's its focus? What's it focusing on? How to walk in righteousness. What is the moral compass for a young man? How shall a young man cleanse his ways? How can you walk uprightly? Well, you walk towards wisdom. You listen to her. You don't listen to the immoral woman. Don't do that. Don't get connected with her. He's, that woman is going to swallow you up to death. She stands on the corner in the streets and she's looking for the fools that don't understand her way leads to death. This is about a moral compass. This is what he's asking for between good and evil. I want to be able to discern that and I want to be able to judge properly based upon right and wrong. This is, this is more than just what we see at the Garden of Eden, the knowledge of good and evil but actually the discernment to be able to, on a very fine scale, be able to avoid evil and always promote and benefit not only my personal life but as a nation what is good, what is right, what is just, what is true. And this is what Philippians tells you to meditate on, right? Does that list start sounding familiar? Meditate on these things. So I always tell our young men, and our old men alike, for that matter. Uh, Proverbs is a book written to men by a man. 
Uh, you should be reading it on a regular basis. I really encourage men to read one chapter of Proverbs every day of the month. So what's the date today? What's the date today? September 24th. So you should be reading Proverbs chapter 24 today because there's 31 chapters, 31 days in the months, and you miss the last one every other, every other month or so. Um, on the virtuous woman. So you only get to read about the virtuous woman about five times a year instead of 12. Uh, but uh, I tell them, read a, read a chapter of Proverbs a day to correspond with the day that you are um, living in. And it's a real easy thing to remember. Um, by the way, gals, there is a book for you. It's not written by Solomon, even though it's called the Song of Solomon, written by a woman for women, and that's the Song of Songs. So the Canticles or Song of Solomon. So you can enjoy that one as well. But it is a moral compass. What is the right thing for men to do? How should you live? How should you walk? How should you talk? How should you work? These are about right and wrong. And we often think that wisdom is about how to make money, or wisdom is about... Um, all these other things about vast knowledge uh, and how to communicate it well. But fundamental wisdom in a biblical issue like this is about knowing right from wrong and how to live rightly, justly, godly in this world. And so this is, all of it, the scriptures, a book of wisdom. It is all their wisdom. It is to direct a man in his path, in his way, so that he could please the Lord. And that is what Solomon is encompassed in this idea of give me wisdom. Give me an understanding heart to know good from evil, to judge these people well. That is to direct them toward good and to condemn and destroy evil when it appears. So I have to conclude that the judgment between the two mothers is about what's right. What's right and wrong here. One of them's lying, and one of them's telling the truth. One of them is deceiving, and one of them is the victim. Well, that's a moral issue. Who's the victim, and who is perpetrating the, the crime against the victim? Uh, and the same thing with Queen of Sheba, when she comes in, I would, I would equally c conclude that it's not about tell me how these things operate, although Solomon shows that he has a great knowledge of things, um, but rather... What is right? What is truth? And this is very important throughout time, and it still is. <laughs> there is a war going on right now. Do you understand that? We're losing the war. Because you go to the college campuses today and ask the question, what is truth? The same question that Pilate asked Jesus. Okay, that's how the question is endured. Queen of Sheba comes, what's truth? I want to hear your wisdom about that. Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? Um, and today you go to camp and ask him, what is the truth? Well, it's whatever's right for me. There is no absolute truth. There's no absolute standard that we can measure everything by anymore. The war is over the truth, socially, and it is the truth that philosophy classes are attacking relentlessly. What Solomon is asking for, I want to have the highest moral ground that I can have the discernment to know, no matter how fanciful the argumentation, no matter how 
flowery the language or how charismatic the person who is speaking is, I want to be able to discern between truth and error, between good and evil. This is real wisdom, not just being smart. This isn't just about being, knowing a lot of facts or being eloquent and having a large vocabulary. This is about truly knowing what is right and what is wrong and developing what is right and avoiding what is wrong because that's justice. It is unjust whenever we encourage or help or aid or abet or ignore what is wrong. And so, yes, you have some responsibility to society if you have biblical wisdom to exercise it in the public domain. Our public desperately needs it. It is well past time for Christians to get active instead of worrying about how you vote and political activism, that we have truth activism. That we go out there and say, well, that's not true. And just say, that's not true. That's not moral. That's not right. Do you understand that almost every issue facing us on a political agenda is because we already last lost the battle for truth, for moral rightness? Why are we struggling to define a marriage? Why are we struggling with the transgender stuff? Why are we struggling with, with uh, homosexuality? Why are we struggling with racism? Why are we struggling with violence and, and not and the inability to allow people to even speak their mind. Uh, why is all this going on? Because we have, for at least 60 years, 55 years, been destroying and undermining a concept of absolute truth in this country. At least that long. If not, if not all the way back to the origin of species in that era in the 1800s, and so when you go back and you start seeing that we have undermined and undermined for generations now, this generation has no concept of this kind of moral wisdom. They can't, you can't even hardly walk them into it because they aren't going to do what the Queen of Sheba did. They're not going to do it. They're not going to come to a just, moral, upright wise person and, and ask questions. You know why? Because they are the measure of truth for themselves. That's what we have taught. We've been taught that we are the measure of truth. We are the measure of moral compass. That it's our own. Whatever is right in your own eyes. Does that sound familiar at all to you from the Bible, your Bible knowledge? That is the exact description of what the world was like right before the flood. Men did what was right in their own eyes. It is the exact description of Israel right before the Assyrians destroyed them. It is the description of Judah right before Babylon destroyed them. It was the description of Sodom before they were eliminated. They did what everyone did what was right in their own eyes, which means I am the moral compass. Solomon here is saying, I don't want to be the moral compass. I want to know your moral compass. I want to know right from wrong, for real. Not what I imagine it to be, not what I want it to be, not what I'm comfortable with it being. And that is what our world desperately needs today, is to be introduced to moral right and wrong. And that's why, yes, sometimes you got to get out of your comfort zone and say, stop, 
That is wrong. Why is it wrong? Because I said so? Because there are wise principles given to us in God's word where there's an absolute truth that we can all identify. And so it doesn't matter whether you're from India, whether you're from Japan, whether you're from America, or whether you're from Saudi Arabia. Because absolute truth is is (laughs) higher than culture. Every culture must surrender to it. And so, murder is wrong. It is wrong. Would you agree with that? That murder is wrong. And it doesn't matter who's doing the murdering and who's being murdered. uh, Murder is wrong. But yet, that is an issue that people have moral dilemma over today. We are caught up in, is it really wrong? What if the one being murdered just hasn't breathed the air yet? Because they're in a womb. Still in mommy's tummy. What if the one being murdered is tired of living? And they want to murder themselves. What if the one being murdered is really an evil person? What if the one being murdered just doesn't agree with me? What if the one being murdered is someone I'm just afraid of and so I'm going to kill him? We have lost a moral compass in what Solomon is really asking for when he asks for wisdom. And when you go to God and say, give me wisdom, usually what we're going to God is saying, help me make good decisions for the direction of my life, of what I should do for college and for a career and for a spouse and for whether I should buy this house or that house or no house or whether I should, how many cars I should own. That's usually our concept of wisdom. And it has almost nothing to do with, well, I'm not going to say it has nothing to do with, but it has very little to do with a moral understanding of what's right and wrong. There is, by the way, right and wrong in what you're buying. If you're living a decadent lifestyle, that's wrong. I don't care how much money you have. Living a decadent lifestyle is wrong. There's a moral... You say, say, well, what's decadent? We all know what decadent is. You don't know what the word decadent, but you know what decadent means. It means living high in the hog, living, living, uh, you know up to and beyond your means and is, uh, if I can afford a yacht I'm going to get the biggest yacht because I can afford it well can you really justify that given these people over here are starving so that you could float around a yacht yeah, you couldn't go out there and do something beneficial for them but that same entertainment budget that you have is higher than the budget of some nations? Yeah, we understand that that's wrong. And this, by the way, we're going to enter into a level of decadence here in Solomon's time, but it was universally shared. And we're going to talk about that, about God's blessing on this nation that was extended to many other nations. So Solomon's request for wisdom and when you request wisdom from God 
couch this in understanding we're talking about what is right and wrong. You're asking God, give me discernment of what is right and wrong in how I'm raising my children. Why, men, should you be reading Proverbs? Because it is about a father instructing his son. You want to know how to raise your son? I suggest you read the book of Proverbs. Figure out how that man wanted to raise his son. My son, my son, my son, my son. You are someone's son, so you can live it yourself, but you also have to teach those same principles to your sons. And by the way, the Song of Songs, daughters of Israel, daughters of Israel. So when we look at this, I want you to ask God for wisdom. I want you to ask him for discernment, but I want you to understand what it is that you're asking for. You're really asking for knowledge of the truth of good versus evil, that you conduct yourself justly in this world and, and identify areas in your life that aren't just. This isn't right for me to live like this um, just because it's fun or just because it feels good. There is an absolute standard to judge the decisions of life. And there are times that there needs to be regular seasons within your life when you say, why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it right? Is what I'm doing right? How is it right? And I'm sure when we get to the Queen of Sheba, just as this judgment that is going to be issued here in chapter 3, um, it's all about what is the right thing to do. And that's what it means to have a wise, understanding heart. And God gives this generously, and the Bible repeats this, that God is ready to give wisdom to any who ask of it. But usually we ask, like James says, why don't we get what we ask for? Because we ask amiss. You know what that means? We're asking for the wrong thing when we use the word wisdom. Because <laughs> we're missing this part of it. We don't really want to have the weight of a conscience that has such a strong moral compass, that has an absolute standard that condemns not just others, but also myself. Judge yourself by it. And Solomon's going to do that. And so God says, this pleases me that you've asked for this. I'm going to add to it. We're going to talk about that down the road a little bit. We're going to add long life. I'm going to add riches. I'm going to add no enemies. I'm going to add all these things. But um, I'm going to give you what you wanted and that is that you have a wise understanding of heart more than anyone before you and no one like you will arise after you not only is it just for your lifetime it is it is going to be exemplary for all time and in this manner solomon becomes a uh, strong representative of christ in this era um, now, lastly, I got four minutes. Does this mean Solomon can do it every once from here on out? No. I want you to look at the very last description of God's promise. Here it is. Verse 14. So if, there's that if. What does that little word mean? There's a condition. You'll have all this if. If you walk in. In my ways, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. The riches and the wisdom are yours. 
But if you want a long reign, you need to walk in my ways. I will shorten your reign if I need to, if you do not follow after the heart of David. Does that mean that Solomon's not going to do anything wrong? No, David did wrong things. But in your heart, are you ready to correct yourself according to the great discernment of right and wrong that I'm going to give you? Um, are you going to be able to correct yourself and humble yourself? Are you gonna, if you have pride against me and don't walk in my ways, don't keep my statutes, I'm going to shorten your days. You'll have all the other things, you just have them for less period of time because I'm going to shorten your days. So there's still a condition because remember, this is about moving from being just the overflow of my dad's life. Okay, so far everything is because of the overflow of my dad's life. And now it's about how are you going to serve God in your life? So for my children, um, now that they're all in their 20s, I don't have any teenagers anymore, um, as teens, what they received was the overflow of my life. And even into their 20s, that's the overflow of their mom and my's life. And we tell them that on a regular basis. Here's how we tell them that. Son, daughter, this is a very special place. All of my kids are smiling because they know they hear it all the time. And it's wrong of us to try to keep you here. What does that mean? It means this is the life we've chosen. God has blessed us in this house by the rules and the patterns of life that we have. And now you're going to leave this house. We're not going to keep you here. And now you're going to have to choose how you're going to live. You can choose to live the way we do and knowing how you grew up, what, a, what kind of home you grew up in. And you've had the blessing of it. You've had a good education. You've had your needs met. You get to have malts on a regular basis. Um, you get to have wonderful experiences abroad. We, we really want our kids to have broad exposure to lots of different things. And uh, so whether it's sports or whether it's music or whether it's raising critters, whatever it was, we just wanted them to have lots of choices and, and have this breadth of knowledge. And, um, and uh, so we tell them that regularly. There's a special place. It's wrong of us to try to keep you here. You can go out and make your own place like this one, and you'll have just as much enjoyment as you had here. But if you think this isn't a joyful place and you don't like it here, then you make a new place for yourself. <laughs> Try to improve on it. Okay? And they'll come back in out of the world sometimes and they'll say, well, you're not, a, that house isn't our house. Okay? And so this is a special place. And we're communicating the same principle here. I'm going from dad's blessing to establishing my own relationship with God based upon a moral compass to do what pleases God. And God says, you walk the right walk. You keep the right heart. David had the right heart. Did he do everything perfect? No, but he had the right heart. He wanted to do the ideal for God. He fell on his face a few times, but he always corrected it when he did. He was willing to do it. He's humble enough to do that, uh, to eat crow if he had to, before God and men, for that matter. I mean, this is a guy that's, didn't care if he had to strip off naked in front of his countrymen to show his humility. And so we find that now Solomon, I'm, I, God comes to Solomon and says, okay, now it's about you and me. 
And Solomon recognizes this. I am the benefactor of my dad now. How am I going to live? God's going to give me wisdom. He's going to give me riches. He's going to give me authority. And God says, if you want this to last, you're going to have to walk in my ways all your days. You have to walk the way David walked, in an upright heart. And so, do I get disappointed if my children don't make, and my adult children now don't live the same way I live? A little bit, but I don't expect them to keep these things just because this is the way Westlinks do it. It has to proceed out of the heart, just like we talked about this morning. That, and so for Solomon here, he shows some humility. He shows his heart's interest. He wants to be a good king. He wants to preserve the blessing of kindness and mercy that God gave his dad. And he recognizes to do that, he needs a moral compass. He needs uh, God's help. And God says, you just have to walk in my ways, keep my statutes and my commandments, just as your father David walked, and I will bless you beyond your imagination. I will lengthen your days. And that's what we're going to see. But this is really foundational to what's coming. And I'm going to keep referencing back to this. What is this about? It's not about being smart. It's about being just. About living righteously and godly with a with a heart after God's own heart. And that, my friends, is wisdom that God invites us to ask for. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for this testimony of Solomon and his conversation with you in a dream, and yet very real, and the promises are real, and the the truths there are very real. Lord, we thank you that we have your word of truth. And while the world attacks it on every front, they attack absolutes and try to establish their own quote-unquote facts. Lord, we know that your word is truth. And Lord, we thank you for the moral discernment that it provides us. And Lord, help us to know it better. And help us truly to have that kind of wisdom, to recognize evil in all of its forms, even the pleasing forms to our eyes or to our ears that would deceive us. Lord, help us to recognize them for what they are, that they are angels of light that are of Satan himself, the angel of light. Messengers of wickedness in the guise of goodness. Lord, we pray for guarded hearts. But we also pray that not only would we avoid the evil, but that we embrace the good, that you would give us understanding of your purpose and your ways, that we'd humble ourselves to them and, and embrace them as our own and, and help them to characterize us just as they were characterized David's life. Lord, we want to be your friends. We want to be your followers, your, your sons. Lord, we know to do that, we must walk in your ways. And Lord, we pray that you might help us to establish, even in the midst of this wicked world, establish oases of truth, justice, rightness, mercy, grace, kindness, love, 
self-control. Lord, give us that wisdom that is from above, that is first pure and peaceable, that we might glorify you and be a light shining in a so dark world that has just groping because they have denied that there is a true light that has entered the world, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.